<laughs> Welcome to the Scottsdale Big Book Study, where we will study the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. Today's date is Saturday, December 11th, 2021. My name is Kathy M., and I am a recovered compulsive eater living in Dublin, Georgia. I will be your host for today's study, and our co-hosts are um, noted in the participants list. If you have any questions during the meeting, please contact either the host or any of the co-hosts by private message in the chat function. Please note that the speaker, Harlan G., will be recorded for the duration of the study. However, the question and answer session, which follows, will not be recorded. We will post a link to the previous week's recordings in the chat function, and you will also be able to find that on our website and our YouTube um, channel in uh, about one day. We ask if you can please make sure that your microphone is on mute at all times during today's study. And also please turn off your video if you are exercising, eating, or if you need to step away from your screen for any reason. We will post a link to the previous week's recordings and the seventh tradition in the chat function. I'd like to mention that at this time that we're, we're um, several of us are working on security and um, should there be any interruption in what Harlan's saying, if you'll just be patient for a moment, we'll get things back and going again. But we expect this to be a very smooth and easy meeting and look forward to it. I will now turn the meeting over to Harlan G. Kathy, thank you very, very much for your service. And um, I want to thank all of you for coming. I hope it's as gorgeous where you are as, as it is here today. Very incredible day. We have been talking about the forward to the first edition. The big book was written in 37 and 38 and printed on April the 10th, 1939. And in the forward to the first edition, just to kind of bring us back up to speed, we have a mention in the first word of the whole thing of we, we have a mention of the fellowship, we. They could have started the book by saying I, they could have started the book by saying you, but they started it by saying we. Now, we is very important because if you look at the first word of the first step, it says we. Now, why is that important? Why am I talking about that? And the reason that I'm talking about that is because the fellowship is very important. Now, I do know that the book was written for people who would not or might not have contact with people from the fellowship. And to be quite frank, they didn't really know if there was going to be a fellowship. They didn't really know where this was going to go. And so this whole concept of it being a worldwide phenomenon and a household name was something that they hoped for something that they dreamed of, but it wasn't something that was reality at the time that the book was being written. And the sentence that's right underneath there, not exactly underneath it, but two down, is to show alcoholics, whoa, somebody's unmuted here, uh, to, show other, to show other alcoholics precisely how we have recovered. Notice everything's in the past tense is the main purpose of this book. And on page 45 and page 20, we also see references to the purpose of the book. On page 45 of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous is the thesis line of the big book. And the thesis line of the big book says, the main object of this book is to help you find a power greater than yourself, which will solve your problem. And it doesn't say problems, it says problem. What is my problem? My problem is I cannot eat without triggering the physical allergy and I cannot keep from eating because of the twist of the mind. And we're gonna be talking a lot about that in the time to come. So the, on page 20, it says, it is the purpose of this book to answer such questions specifically. Is that consistent? Yes, it is. And then here it says, the show, to show other alcoholics precisely how we have recovered is the main purpose of this book. So we see the consistency coming out in the book that we have. The purpose of this is to show you how to recover, 
The purpose of this is to answer such questions specifically. And the main object of this book is to help you find a power greater than yourself, which will solve your problem. Very, very important. And we're going to be talking about that stuff a lot, especially as we move forward. But for today, we're going to go back to page XIII or 13 in Roman numerals. And I am dealing with the fourth edition, but it is the forward to the first edition. So I'm reading from a fourth edition and I'm talking about the forward to the first edition. I hope that's very clear. And we're going to start with the words very earnestly. Very earnestly, we asked the press also. Remember, we were talking about anonymity and we were talking last week about how the stigma of alcoholism was much more dramatic, much more drastic when the book was written than it is now. If I was your boss or you were my boss and it became known that I was an alcoholic and if it became known that I was in these meetings, you could fire me because the stigma of alcoholism was a much, much more serious stigma than it is today. One thing that Alcoholics Anonymous has done much better than Overeaters Anonymous is to educate the public as to what alcoholism is and what alcoholism is not. And it's very, very important that we continue to work our program of recovery so that we can be messengers of the, of the essence of what Overeaters Anonymous is. But we very earnestly, we ask the press also to observe this request, for otherwise we shall be greatly handicapped. In other words, people would be afraid to go to meetings if they knew they were going to get outed. They were going to get outed. We are not an organization in the conventional sense of the word. There, there are no fees or dues whatsoever. Now, Every once in a while, you will see a directive, not a directive, a suggestion, excuse me, didn't, I was going to say not a directive, and I got a, a little ahead of myself, brain and tongue not synced up as quite as well as they could be. But every once in a while, you'll see a strong suggestion come out from world of OA, give $2, give $3, give a million dollars, whatever that may be. Just remember that what supersedes anything they can tell you, there are no dues or fees for membership in any 12-step program. And anybody that tells you different is telling you Mishigas, is telling you a booby mindset. A booby mindset is a story that your grandmother would tell. Booby is grandmother and a mindset is a story. It's a story your grandmother would tell you. Now, the next sentence here, to put it into perspective, was written in 1937. The traditions do not come about in the fellowship until 1950. But until 1950, the traditions were being proposed by Bill Wilson in Grapevine Magazine as early as 1945. He published the 12 uh, guidelines for progress or something. I think that's what it's called, the 12 guidelines for progress. He knew he couldn't call them rules. He knew he couldn't call them laws. He knew he couldn't call them those things because alcoholics are immature, sensitive rebels, immature, sensitive rebels. And so are compulsive overeaters. And many of us would kick and fuss if it was rules or laws. And they came up with this concept of traditions being the word. And that seemed to be the most palatable thing. Now let's take a look at what we have here. The only requirement for membership is an honest desire to stop drinking. And we're going to be talking about this sentence for a little bit here because I want you to appreciate the history of it. And I want you to remember that Alcoholics Anonymous, Overeaters Anonymous, Gamblers Anonymous, whatever it is anonymous that you, that you see, did not come about because Bill met Bob and the fellowship sprung out of their ear. It came about 
amidst much trial and tribulation. And this sentence, the only requirement for membership is an honest desire to stop drinking, didn't rest really well with the fellowship. After the big book was printed, people were looking at that and saying, gosh, that seems kind of harsh. So that when the traditions were being uh, proposed to the fellowship and they were later passed at the 1950 convention and the 1950 convention was in Cleveland, Ohio and the Cleveland convention had this vote of the traditions and then the 12 and 12 was written in 52 and, and came 51 and 52 came out in 53 but the 12 and 12's purpose was to give you information on the traditions so but in order to sell the book bill felt as did many that information on the steps the, the, the textbook is the big book. That's never changed. The directions on how to work the steps are the big book. That's never changed. The part of the steps in the 12 and 12 are essays about the steps. And that's why a lot of people love the 12 and 12, because you don't have to do anything. There's no direction. It's just essay form commentary. I'm not de denigrating the 12 and 12. I'm not saying there's not some fabulous information in there, but the textbook is the big book. Now let's take a look at some history behind this and let's appreciate that Bill and Bob did not just meet, shake hands and the fellowship sprung out of their nose. I wanna talk to you about a guy and his name was Morty Joseph. And Morty Joseph lived in Los Angeles, California. And in 1939, before the big book was even published, this is back in February or March of 1939, his wife, Morty Joseph, got a copy in mimeographed form of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. Now, some of the information in A Vision for You was written as they were going to the printer almost. So some of that was different, some of that was added to. But she got a hold of a copy of the big book in mimeographed form, and she brought it back to Los Angeles. And at a place called the Cecil Hotel, it was a flea bag hotel in Los Angeles, California. When I was a kid, there was a cartoon show called Beanie and Cecil. And Beanie and Cecil was a cartoon show about a little boy who was on a ship and his friend, the sea serpent. And the sea serpent was C Cecil and he was Beanie. And I often wondered, I wondered if the people in LA that made the cartoon got that name from the hotel. Maybe they did, maybe they didn't. I don't know. I'm not here to ask. I, they're not around probably for me to ask. But I remember watching Beanie and Cecil as a kid. So anyway, these 10 alcoholics got dragged by their ear to this flea bag hotel and Morty Joseph's wife ran an ad in the Los Angeles newspaper. Wives, if your husband is an alcoholic, bring him Saturday morning to the Cecil Hotel at 10 a.m. I have in my hands a remedy for alcoholism. So these 10 or 12 poor saps are going into the Cecil Hotel in the, in the lobby of the hotel up, up above. They had this meeting. Now, none of, them have a, none of them had ever been to a meeting before in their life, and they didn't know what to do. Now, Morty Joseph was the de facto head of this group. None of them had ever been to a meeting. None of them had stopped drinking. They were temporarily functioning enough to be at this meeting. So Morty Joseph, he doesn't know what to do. How do you get a meeting started? He sees one of the chapters is written and its title is How It Works. And he opens up his mimeograph thing to chapter five, How It Works. 
and he starts reading between the beginning of the chapter. Rarely have we seen a person fail who has thoroughly followed our path all the way through the ABCs on page 60. He reads the steps and he reads through the ABCs. That, that custom of reading through that has followed us through this very day. Many, many meetings begin with a recitation of chapter five's first two, three pages up to this ABCs. It's still going on today. Now, why am I mentioning Morty Joseph? And why am I mentioning Los Angeles when it comes to a discussion of the requirement for membership being an honest desire to stop drinking? Some of the people that made this fellowship what it is today are dead. And some of the people never recovered. They never, ever recovered. Now, I want to tell you a story of something that occurred in 1943 during World War II. AA was becoming a little stronger in Los Angeles than it was any other area west of the Mississippi. It was in Los Angeles before it was in Denver and Albuquerque and, you know, Phoenix and all these. It went from East Coast, bounced to West Coast, and then they kind of met in the middle, sort of like when they built the railroad. And in Los Angeles in 1943, there was a woman who was very, very attractive, and her name was Irma Lavoni. And Irma Lavoni used to come to the meetings and the wives were very uncomfortable with her being in there with their husbands. Irma Lavoni was also a working prostitute. And she was a prostitute and she was in there with their husbands and they were not happy. Now, there was no traditions at this time. And so they got together and protested with their husbands. They protested that she shouldn't be in the meetings. She dresses scantily. She's a prostitute. She's this. She's that. Uh, maybe she spit on the sidewalk. I couldn't tell you. I don't know. I wasn't there. Uh, whatever. Maybe she put ketchup on a hot dog. I don't know. But what she did do was she caused a disturbance. And Morty Joseph, the same guy that led that meeting at the Cecil Hotel, he was put in charge. And he was put in charge for the purpose of writing her a letter not to come back. And he wrote her a letter. And they all were in agreement with this. And they signed it and said, please don't come back. Now, about three or four months later, Bill Wilson hears of this in New York. And he flies off the handle. And he says, I do not agree with what you've done. He writes them some letters. He eventually gets on a train and goes out there. And when Bill Wilson comes out there, he talks to Morty and he talks to some of these guys in LA. And he says to them, you've got to write this wrong. You've got to make this good. This cannot continue. We cannot sit in judgment of our fellow alcoholic. If we're going to sit in judgment of our fellow alcoholic, where is it going to stop? Where is it going to stop? So they say, you know, Bill, you're right. And Morty Joseph, once again, puts his typewriter to work and he writes her another letter. And the letter says, we were wrong. We are sorry. Please come back. And she won't do it. And she died on the streets of LA drunk. And sometimes you learn through success and sometimes you learn through tragedy 
and failure. And one of the things that Irma Lavoni teaches us is that we cannot judge anyone who's in this room or in this group or in any room or in any group. We are not the judge and the jury of our fellow compulsive overeater. And we have to take the lesson of Irma Lavoni seriously because sometimes we are so intolerant of others and I'm human just like you are. People say things I consider to be Meshuggah. Sometimes people say things that I consider to be off the wall. I don't know where they're getting it from. I can scream into a pillow all I want, but I better do step 10 and I better keep my mouth shut because I am not the judge and the jury of anyone at any time for any reason. And so we see the lesson is a very important lesson. No matter who you are, what you are, where you come from, whether you are from Dublin, Georgia, or Dublin, Ireland, whether you're from West Rogers Park, Chicago, or you're from the West Indies, whether you're black or white, Catholic, Jewish, Protestant, whether you are Muslim, whether you're Buddhist, whether you're whatever you are, wherever you are from, you are welcome here. And I believe that you've heard me say this, unless maybe this is your first time here. I often lament that we have failed the Black community. We have failed the Hispanic community. We have failed the Native American community. We have failed many of these minority communities. And the evidence that we have failed them is in the very simple assessment that there are too few of them at present to really count beyond a low number. I have spoken at far too many conventions that had a thousand people, 1200 people, and you could count the people of color on one hand or two hands. We can do better. Don't fear this, embrace it. We will be stronger, better, and more effective when we are different. Don't fear the people that look or are different from you, they make us stronger. And it is not up to us to stop in that quest to develop a better bridge between where we are and many of the minority communities that we're underserving. Let's continue to strive in those directions. It's very, very important for our survival. Don't fear it, embrace it. It really is gonna benefit everyone. And don't forget Irma Lavoni. She was a, a, a person who you would never recognize as a founder or recognize as a, as a critical part of, of this fellowship, but she is as, is as critical as anybody who went before her. For without her, we probably wouldn't have as strong a third tradition. What is the third tradition? The only requirement for membership in Overeaters Anonymous is a desire. No, they took that word honest out. They took it out. They didn't keep it in there. Uh, they felt that it was a little too strong. And they said, we don't really give a darn if it's an honest desire or a dishonest desire, whatever it is. And there are people today in AA. They object strongly to the, to the people that are in there court mandated and uh, all kinds of stuff. To me, I don't care why you're here. I really don't. As long as you're here and you, you want to recover, you are welcome here. And there are people that come in that don't want to recover. They're just here to get someone off their back. You know what? 
between you and me, you never know what they're going to hear that's going to make them want to be here. So don't don't object to this. Welcome it. It's good. It really is good. You never know what they're going to hear, who they're going to see, what's going to, you never know. Let God have the final word and it will be good. If you let God have the final word, it's always going to be a good one. It's a good one. Let's continue. But don't forget Irma Livoni, I-R-M-A-L-I-V-O-N-I, Irma Livoni. We are not allied with any particular faith, sect, or denomination, nor do we oppose anyone. Very, very important. See, these are the beginnings of your traditions, even though they wouldn't come about for a few more years. This is your beginnings of it. We simply wish to be helpful to those who are afflicted. Very, very important. Very important. We simply want to be helpful to those who are afflicted. And you know, when you think back, if you're recovered or you're, you're, you're down the line a bit and the, the, the newness of the nightmare of the food is, is a little bit more behind you, remember what it was like Remember what it was like to look at the world and feel so different from everything and everyone around you, to feel alone in a crowd, that there was nothing about your internal that matched up to the externals that you were seeing. And we constantly judged our insides by the outsides of these seemingly together people all around us. And we always made these comparisons when things were going poorly. We never made the comparisons when things were going well. So we can't forget about what that's like. And we don't want to block anyone from coming into the fellowship. That's something to remember because no one blocked us. We don't want to block anyone. We want to be an encourager. So often I get the question in, in Q&A or I'll get it and I'll, or it'll come up in vision. How do you get closer to God? How do I get closer to God? And my very simple answer is, was, and always will be go out and help one of his children. Go out and get closer to one of his children and be an encourager, be a support system, be an encourager, say a kind word, a smile goes a long way. Be someone who can find something that they're doing well and tell them, hey, you're doing a great job. And you'd be amazed at how close that'll get you to God. We shall be interested to hear from those who are getting results from this book, particularly from those who have commenced to work with other alcoholics. In other words, people that have gotten all the way through the process and they're now sponsoring others. We, sh we should like to be helpful to such cases. Inquiry by scientific, medical, and religious societies will be welcomed. Alcoholics Anonymous. Very, very important. Now let's go to page XV, which is 15 in Roman numerals, 15. And when we go to uh, page 15, we're going to study the forward to the second edition. And there have been 16 years that have passed. The big book, first edition, first printing, and I have one. I have two first editions, uh, first edition books. One is a big red one one. In other words, it's a first edition, first printing, and that thing is worth a lot of money, a lot of money. And I also have a first edition big book, sixteenth printing, which is blue, and it's the same words, the same everything. Uh, the doctor's opinion is on page one and there's no appendix. There's whatever, but there's, you know, all this other stuff. Oh, there is an appendix too in that one. I'm sorry. But there's, it's, uh, Bill's story isn't on page one. It's on page seven or six or whatever the heck it was. But the, the doctor's opinion was chapter one. Okay. Figures given in this forward describe the fellowship as it was in 1955. What prompted a second edition? Well, first of all, the bottoms were starting to come up. 
the people that were in AA at, originally were very, very low bottom drunks, very low bottom guys. But as 1955 rolled around, the bottoms were coming up. The fellowship was getting more and more female and the age of the people were dropping. The average age of an AA person is 33. The average age of a person in OA is 55. So they have a little bit of a different uh, demographic than we do. They're at 33, we're at 55. So things are a little different, but the, the uh, ages started dropping. Okay, let's go to page XV or 15 in Roman numerals. Since the original forward to this book was written in 1939, a wholesale miracle has taken place. Our earliest printing voiced the hope that every alcoholic who journeys will find the fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous at his destination. Already continues the early text, twos and threes and fives of us have sprung up in other communities. Now, by the time this book came out in 55, Alcoholics Anonymous was well on its way. When they first came out with the book, you couldn't give the damn thing away. And things were very, very, very slow. It was like selling, you know, pork chops at a bar mitzvah. It was very, very tough sledding, very tough sledding to, to get the book going. And then the Jack Alexander thing came out. And then Archie Throwbridge in Detroit went on the radio. And, 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 and then there was other, you know, publications, other things, Saturday Evening Post and the Rockefeller thing. He was publicizing it too. And things started snowballing it, snowballing. 16 years have elapsed between our first printing of this book and the presentation in 1955 of our second edition. In that brief space, Alcoholics Anonymous has mushroomed into nearly 6,000 groups whose membership is far above 150,000. Do you remember in 19, do you remember on page 159 in 1937, January of 37, they had 10 people in the world that were sober? 10 people in the world that were sober in January of 37. Now there are 6,000 groups and 150,000 members where God guides, God provides, and God knows how to provide. God knew the path that we needed to take because there were millions and millions and millions and millions of people that were suffering and suffering under an inhumane yoke of this, the slavery of this disease and that they were being denigrated and that they were being dragged through pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization. And God wanted to send us something that could help us. And he sent us this book and he sent us the fellowship. He knew how to serve his children. Groups are to be found in each of the United States and all the provinces of Canada. AA has flourished in communities in the British Isles, the Scandinavian countries, South Africa, South America, Mexico, Alaska, Australia, and Hawaii. Seems almost funny today, but Alaska and Hawaii came in in 1959, but the second edition uh, came out in 55. They were not yet states. A little trivia question for you trivia buffs. What was the 48th state? Arizona. Arizona was state 48. We were the last state to be admitted to the union before Alaska and Hawaii. That's why there's a big tavern chain here called State 48. We were the 48th state. All told promising beginnings have been made in some 50 foreign countries and US possessions. Some are just now taking shape in Asia. Many of our friends encourage us by saying that this is but a beginning, only the augury of a much larger future ahead. And one of the things 
that I wish that every one of you will experience. Now, this year, the convention for the OA birthday, and by the way, registration for the OA birthday is open, and that will take place the 14th, 15th, and 16th of January. 14th, 15th, and 16th of January. I'm hoping that every one of you will register. We're not going to be doing big book that weekend. I want you to concentrate on the birthday. But one of the beautiful things about that birthday is going to be as you zoom through, and I don't have the interest or the time to sit and scroll through here, and it would look strange. I'm trying to talk and I'm going, I, I don't have the time, I don't have the interest. Um, I can see how many of you are on here and I can see the A's and I can see just a few people that are on here, not many, but you'll see people from Korea, you'll see people from Japan, you'll see people from India, you'll see a lot of different people. And it's just a beautiful, beautiful thing to behold is to see how many different places and different types of people are represented when we have such a large convention. I hope that you'll be able to experience it in person, not this coming year, 22, but by 23, I hope we'll all be together in Los Angeles so that we can embrace and we can cry together, we can laugh together, we can check on Miriam together, we can do a lot of different things because it's very, very important that this thing, this pandemic get behind us so that we can all be together and enjoy each other in the Los Angeles hotel that we hold it at every, every year. Very, very, it's my dream that we're gonna be together soon. Registration is open. All you need to do is go to Los Angeles Overeaters Anonymous, click on birthday, Registration is $30. And when you consider how much you used to spend on Cheetos and French fries and donuts and God knows what, you will consider, like I do, that the $30 registration for such a magical convention is nothing. It's just absolutely nothing. Okay, let's continue. But I hope you're all going to be at the... Um, at the birthday, not in Los Angeles, but on, on Zoom. The spark that I'm at the bottom of XV or 15, the spark that was to flare into the first AA group was struck in Akron, Ohio in June of 1935. We all know that. During a talk between a New York stockbroker, he wasn't really a stockbroker, he was a New York City stock speculator, and an Akron physician, Dr. Bob and Bill Wilson. Six months earlier, the broker had been relieved of his drink obsession by a sudden spiritual experience following a meeting with an alcoholic friend who had been in contact with the Oxford groups of that day. Now, he's talking about Bill Wilson's meeting with Ebby Thatcher, and Ebby had been in contact with the Oxford group. We're going to get into that whole history when we do Bill's story, but just to give you a very sort of boom, 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 because it bears on this. Ebby Thatcher was an alcoholic and he knew Bill Wilson. They grew up together. They were in school together. They went to Barn Barton in Manchester, Vermont together. Bill Wilson was born in East Dorset, Vermont. And Bill Wilson was born right across from Manchester, Vermont. And that's where the Thatchers had their summer home was in Manchester, Vermont. And he knew Ebby, and Ebby and him did a lot of drinking together. Boy, did they do a lot of drinking together. And do you remember when it said in the doctor's opinion that in order for the message to be carried, it must have depth and weight? Well, there was no better harbinger of this message than Ebby Thatcher. Bill Wilson often said that if I got to be as bad a drunk as Ebby, I'm going to quit. <clears throat> Hold on one second here. I'm going to quit. And Ebby Thatcher used to go around saying, if I ever get to be as bad a drunk as Bill Wilson, I'm going to quit. And Ebby was a really bad drunk. And Ebby 
got in trouble with the police in Manchester, Vermont, uh, from his drunken escapades. And but rather than go to the insane asylum in Brattleboro, Vermont, now Brattleboro is a city in Vermont, but it's also where the state mental hospital is. And they were going to send Ebby to Brattleboro. And in Brattleboro, but in, 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 in there, that was in Brattleboro. But what, um, what, 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 ugh, I can't even think. What they did with alcoholics often was they would put them in the insane asylum for an indefinite period of time. They didn't know what else to do with them. And they would commit these guys. Where I'm from, I'm from Chicago, and I was born and raised there. There's Dunning, and then there was Michael Reese, and there was different ones. But Dunning on Irving Park and Narragansett was the big one. And they would stuff these guys into Dunning, and they'd keep them there for an in, indeterminate period of time. And they didn't know what else the heck to do with them. But rather than send Ebby to Brattleboro, a man by the name of Roland Hazard, and we will study Roland when we get to Bill's story, a man by the name of Roland Hazard and a man by the name of Seber Graves Jr. interceded with the judge whose name happened to be Seber Graves Sr., and Seabra Graves Sr. at the behest of Seabra Graves Jr. and Roland Hazard gave Ebby a choice. You could either go to Brattleboro or you can go to New York with these men, do as they say, and we will suspend your sentence. But if you don't do what they say, you have to come back here. We're gonna extradite you to Vermont and we're gonna put you in Brattleboro. And so he agreed. He wasn't exactly a fireball of enthusiasm. He was not exactly a fireball of willingness, but he did go with them because he figured that going to New York and he called them holy rollers in the Oxford group, he called them them a bunch of freaking holy rollers. He figures that's better than straitjackets, padded cells, electroshock therapy, and God knows what else would he would be subjected to in Brattleboro. So he goes in there in September of 34, and he stays sober from September to October, one month. And from October to November, two months. And at the end of November, they say to Ebby Thatcher, Ebby, you've got to go give testimony. And he says, what's give testimony mean? What does that mean? And they say, go tell somebody what God did for you. And he'd say, God, I don't want to go give testimony. That's embarrassing. And they'd say, you don't have to. You can always go to the insane asylum. And he says, you know what? I think I'll go give some testimony. So he thinks and he thinks and he thinks and he thinks. You can tell I raised a daughter, Winnie the Pooh. Think, 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 think. But he thinks, who can he give testimony to in, uh, I almost said in Chicago. <laughs> I've got Chicago on the brain. I was just there. But anyway, um, the bottom line is he's got, he, who can he go give testimony to in New York where he won't embarrass himself? And in late November of 1934, he pays a call on his friend, schoolmate, confidant, drinking buddy, Bill Wilson. And it changed the world. It changed the world forever. So this is what they're talking about. I told you we're going to go slow here because I don't want to just gloss over stuff and just say, okay, bum, bum, bum. I want to give you what's behind what you're reading. And I hope that that will further your understanding. Let's continue. He had also been greatly helped by the late William D. Silkworth. Silkworth was Bill's doctor. He was the medical director of the town's hospital. And Bill had been hospitalized there three times so he knew him, a New York specialist in alcoholism who is now accounted no less than a medical saint by AA members and whose story of the early days of our society appears in the next pages. We're going to study the doctor's opinion, but to this day, Dr. Silkworth 
is still our great medical benefactor. Just to be a putz every once, because once a year, I go to the cardiologist twice a year and you have to fill out the paperwork and they'll say, who's your primary care physician? And I'll put down William D. Silkworth and I put down the address in New York just to be a putz. I'll sometimes do that. And then I straighten it out. You know, I tell them who I, but just, just to, just to have, it's gotta be fun for me too, or I don't want to live in the world. I got to have a laugh too once in a while, but anyway, okay. Um, from this doctor, the broker had learned of the grave nature of alcoholism. What did he teach him? What did Dr. Silkworth teach him? What is the grave nature of alcoholism? That it is a physical allergy and it is a twist of the mind. That alcohol does something for these men that it does not do for the non-alcoholic. Twinkies, fried chicken, French fries, the greasier, the better. French fries, whatever, does something for me, not to me, for me, that it does not seem to do for the normal temperate eater. There is a reaction in the mind and a reaction in the body that is different from the normal reaction to food. When my friends sit down to eat a meal, they get all the food they want every time they sit down to a meal. And they say weird stuff, stuff I don't know the meaning of, like, oh, this is too sweet, or Oh, who could eat so much? Or my favorite, could I get a box? I'm going to take half of this home. They say weird ass stuff like that, that I can no more understand than I can understand Korean or Chinese or God knows what. I do not understand. It's too sweet. It's too rich. There's too much. I don't get it. But in their bodies, the more they eat, the less food they want. And in my body, the more I eat, the more I want, the more I want, the more I eat, and it's just endless. And if that's all that was wrong with me, I might be okay, because I could just go on a diet. But it's the other part is the main problem. It's the mental part. Food does something for me <laughs> in the mind that it does not do for them. I like all addicts, I'm very uncomfortable with my externals. I'm externally, look. I look ex at my external and I see the people in the world and I'm uncomfortable. And when I was about 15 minutes old, my brain recorded something. This food makes me feel better right away. Food gives me what Dr. Silkworth calls the effect. What is the effect? The effect is a sense of ease and comfort that comes instantly by eating that food. And food changes my perception of reality for about nine seconds. It changes my perception of reality. And most addicts will never become psychotic delusional. What's a psychotic delusional? It's someone whose brain looks at the world and it just kind of flips. And these guys go into a psychosis where they don't see the world as we do. An alcoholic knows, a compulsive overeater knows, a drug addict knows, a gambler knows how I can change my externals instantly and I can do it with a Burger King Whopper or I can do it with French fries. I can do it with a Twinkie and that will change my perception of reality instantly. The only problem is it's not real. And the other problem is it only lasts about nine seconds. And that's the really 
that's the really dirty deal. At least with some of the other addictions, they get high longer than I do. My high, my effect only lasts about nine seconds, but by then I've triggered the allergy and I'm off to the races and there's no curbing it from there. I will go nuts. Okay, though he could not accept all the tenants of the Oxford group, he was convinced of the need for moral inventory, step four, confession, step five of personality defects, six and seven, restitution to those harmed, eight and nine, helpfulness to others, 12, and the necessity of belief and belief independence upon God, one, two, three. Right there in an encapsulated form are your steps. Very, very important. And this theme of repeating the steps is going to permeate through the entire book over and over and over and over again. Very important. Prior to his journey to Akron, the broker had worked hard with many alcoholics on the theory that only an alcoholic can help an alcoholic, but he had succeeded only in keeping sober himself. The broker had gone to Akron on a business venture, which had collapsed, leaving him greatly in fear that he might start drinking again. He suddenly realized that in order to save himself, he must carry his message to another alcoholic. That alcoholic turned out to be the Akron physician. And that's why, again, we're not in the results business. Don't start sponsoring thinking, oh, I'm gonna just, I'm gonna help everybody because I'm so good. If they don't want to recover, Bill Wilson can't help them. If they do want to recover, the guy behind me, Donald Duck, could sponsor them. And Donald Duck would be a great sponsor for anybody. He's fabulous. But we are not in the results business. I want to say that again because it's very important. See, because we're perfectionists. And if we can't do something perfectly, we don't want to do it at all. That's why you see a lot of people, I don't want to sponsor. I'm scared to sponsor. Let go of this perfectionism. It's not going to help us. We go out there and we sponsor and whoever's going to recover is going to recover. Whoever's not going to recover is not going to recover. There's nothing. But as long as I stay out of the food, as long as I stay abstinent, that's really the only thing that, that matters. I can't control who's going to do this program and who's not going to do this program. And neither can you. But we can do the best we can. We are perfectionists by nature. And perfectionism can kill us because if we don't work the steps perfectly, we don't want to work them at all. If we can't sponsor perfectly, we don't want to work them at all. If we can't be perfect, then we don't want to live at all. And so this can kill us. This is not a good situation here. Let's continue. This physician had repeatedly tried spiritual means to resolve his alcoholic dilemma, but had failed. Dr. Bob tried other times. He was in the Oxford group longer than Bill Wilson was, but Bob was drunk and Bill was sober. What's the difference? Bill worked through the steps and understood also because of Silkworth, the importance of never taking the first drink. Dr. Bob did not know about the physical allergy, even being a physician, he didn't know it. And he didn't know about the twist of the mind. So Dr. Bob figured he'd have a couple of beers or a couple of shots of whiskey or a couple of whatever, and then he would stop, but he couldn't stop. And he just, he just couldn't, couldn't do it. And it was Bill Wilson that convinced him of these things. Very important. I think I have a drinking problem because since I'm old now, I'm not young anymore. Now, when I drink water, I spill it on my shirt. So I guess I have a drinking problem too. Maybe I better check out an AA meeting today. But, um, but when the broker gave him Dr. Silkworth's description of alcoholism and its hopelessness, the physician began to pursue the spiritual remedy for his malady with a willingness he had never before been able to muster. Now he understood he needed to do this program in its entirety. And if he didn't, he was not going to recover. He sobered never to drink again up to the moment of his death in 1950. This seemed to prove that one one alcoholic could affect another as no al non-alcoholic could. It is also indicated that strenuous work, one alcoholic with another, was vital to permanent recovery. Very, very important was this discovery that one alcoholic 
talking to another alcoholic so that the second alcoholic's feelings of differences, being different, would subside. And in his friend, the other alcoholic, he could see that there was a way out. He could identify. And what do we give each other? Why is fellowship so important? Well, fellowship is actually important for a number of reasons. It isn't just important for one reason or two reasons. It's actually important for a great number of reasons. And one of the reasons that fellowship is so important is as you move through, and you start to identify one to the other that we feel less different and less alone. Remember that the disease of compulsive overeating is an effective and efficient abuser. And what is an abuser? What does an abuser do? An abuser is someone who abuses you with no thought of your own welfare. But what does an abuser do first? An abuser will amputate you, separate you from your support system. They will alienate you from friends. They will alienate you from family. And we're going to see that in Bill's story. And we're going to see that all through here, that compulsive overeating is an effective abuser. And the first thing that it does is it, is it um, amputates you from every support system that you might have. Okay, um, before I turn it over, because I want to leave the next paragraph to next week, because we're going to talk about Eddie R. And we're going to talk about a lot of different people. There's a lot of history that we're going to be talking about next week. And just so that you know, again, if you have questions, are we meeting on Christmas Day and are we meeting on New Year's Day? And the answer is yes, we're going to meet. And what I'm also going to do is because of our Scottsdale pattern, our, our 530 uh, p.m. meeting, our Scottsdale meeting, we're going to open up the Zoom room at the same time on Christmas Eve and New Year's Eve. Sadly, I don't have a date, but uh, we're going to open it up. And we're going to make it available to anyone. Maybe we'll have a meeting. Maybe we'll just talk. Maybe we'll just schmooze, whatever we'll do. And uh, we will open it up on those dates. So we will be meeting in this forum the next three or four Saturdays, five Saturdays, whatever it is. And then during the OA birthday, I'm going to let you guys go to the birthday instead of, you know, being in this forum. Now, before I turn this over to, I don't know if it's Nancy, I don't know if it's uh, Kathy, it's I don't know, uh, Kathy. Okay, before we do that, before we do that, what I'd like to do is remind you guys, numeral uno, no math questions, no food questions. And for the love of God, if you no math questions, any question that starts with a train leaves St. Louis or find the value of X will not be answered correctly. I'll take a shot at it, but chances are I'm not going to get the right answer. Um, but the bottom line is, is that if you asked a question last week, I am asking that you um, do not ask one today until everyone else has had a chance. So step back if you asked a question last week. Very, very important. No math, no food. Register for the birthday, damn it. It's, take care of it today. Make sure you get your spot. There's going to be lots of different things going on at the same time. If you're new, I would strongly suggest the big book study, which I'm not doing this year. Someone else is. I don't even know who it is. I'll find out for you guys. I'll try to find out who's doing it. Um, the big book study. And I would also suggest if you're new or you're struggling with food, uh, the sober eating workshop is on Sunday morning. My friend Adam B., he does that at the birthday. He is wonderful. He is just fabulous. And they talk about food. You want to talk about food? That's the place to do it. It's called the Sober Eating Workshop. There's specialty workshops. There's all kinds of things going on. There's going to be like two, three things going on at any given moment. 
and it's going to go well into the night on Sunday. And uh, I'm hoping that you guys will all register. Go to oabirthday.com or go to Los Angeles Overeaters Anonymous and then click on birthday. Okay, I'm going to turn it over to Kathy and then we're going to go from there. Thank you so much, Harlan. At this point, I'm going to stop the recording. And